Over the past 12 years, John Schneider and Pete Carroll have been two of the best talent evaluators in the NFL, and they've created championship caliber teams in large part through the draft. In part two of our series, Rob Rang and I are going to be looking back at some of the best draft classes that the Seahawks have had with Schneider and Carroll at the helm. You won't want to miss it on this jam-packed episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's been the best month that we've ever had for downloads, and that all goes back to you, the listener. Again, we greatly appreciate the support and your willingness to hear Rob and I ramble on about Seahawks stuff five days a week. We've got another jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to be checking out some top cornerback prospects and a few late-round sleepers as well as we get closer to the 2022 NFL Draft. And we'll be continuing our two-part series looking at some of the best draft classes that the Seahawks have had under John Schneider and Pete Carroll dating back to 2010. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. DK Metcalf is only 24 years old. He's entering his fourth NFL season. He's already been an all-pro selection a couple years ago. He holds a number of records for the Seahawks. It would seem like a player who's an ascending talent like DK Metcalf, would not be available for trade. But, Rob, I think we've learned from what just transpired with Russell Wilson that any time that rumors continue over a prolonged period of time, there's probably not just smoke there. And we continue to see reports circulating about teams having interest in trading for DK Metcalf. At this point, it's suggesting to me that while the Seahawks probably aren't going to be making a move here with him going into the final year of his contract and what teams have been able to fetch trading away Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill recently, that John Schneider's at least open to listening if some, if some teams are going to call and inquire about Metcalf's availability. I 100% agree with you, Corbin. I mean, I, I don't want to see DK Metcalf traded anywhere else from a Seattle Seahawks perspective because we know what an incredible talent he is. But you just hit upon it. I mean, not only obviously was the fact that Seattle did make the big trade of Russell Wilson, but the, the moves for Devontae Adams uh, and, and Tyree Kill and the incredible hauls that the Green Bay Packers and Kansas City Chiefs received in compensation. Uh, you know, to me, you, you have to have that conversation if you're John Schneider and, and Pete Carroll at this point. If you truly are doing a, a rebuild, then, then again, I think that you have to at least consider the fact. Now, again, I, one of the things that would concern me a little bit from a Seattle's perspective before you just start, you know, jumping into this idea of trading is that he is 24 years old. You could do a rebuild and still keep one of the most dynamic wide receivers, uh, certainly in Seattle's history, but I would argue an NFL history that happened to fall into your lap at number 64 overall a couple of years ago. But at the same time, because of that youth, because of the, the at least the perception that there still is some untapped potential with TK Metcalf, you might be able to get that much more 
out of a trade for him to somewhere else. So I think that this is something that Seattle absolutely has to consider. I, I think that, that that Seahawk fans have to start warming to the idea that we're talking about at least $25 million per year for a wide receiver in a system as long as Pete Carroll is head coach that you know is going to be wanting to run the football and playing defense before they're going to want to be highlighting a big play receiver down the field. So that, to me, is really the conversation here is can you swallow the idea of paying that much money to a guy who really isn't necessarily, at least by the way that the offense is set up, isn't supposed to be the star of the offense. The running back is supposed to be that guy. I've said this on earlier shows because this is a topic we have touched on already a couple of times. But if somebody like the Jets, that's the team that has been thrown around, kind of the hot topic team out there that could use a star receiver. They've got a young quarterback that they think is going to make a big jump in his sophomore season in Zach Wilson. But to allow him to make that jump, you got to have weapons for him to throw to. So the Jets have been a team that has been frequently thrown around. Their general manager a few days ago said that they could be aggressively looking to make a move there. They were involved in the Tyreek Hill trade talks before ultimately the Chiefs dealt him to the Dolphins instead. So they want to add a big play wideout. If a team like that comes to you and offers a first or two first round picks, second rounder, and additional picks on top of that, again, you do have to at least sit and consider that. But I still maintain what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks as these rumors have continued to float around. I'm not trading a 24-year-old receiver that already has all-pro talent, and you mentioned untapped potential. I still think that this kid has a lot of room to grow, even though he's averaged 1,000 yards a year since coming into the league, and he's one of only seven receivers all time to have over 3,100 receiving yards and 29 receiving touchdowns in his first three seasons. We talked about that last week, that this kid is in rare company, and he isn't even 25 years old yet. And yeah, you can look at the scheme fit and say, well, why pay a receiver that kind of money, especially when you just extended Tyler Lockett, but you don't have a high-priced quarterback that's going to be on the books after this year. And unless you go out and make a splashy trade for a big-name quarterback a year from now, you aren't going to have that big quarterback contract on the books because you're certainly, if Drew Locke pans out, he's not going to be making top 10 quarterback money. That's not going to happen. If he doesn't pan out, you end up drafting a quarterback. You've got a rookie salary. Even if it's a first round pick, that's going to be significantly lower than what Russell Wilson was making on his last contract with the Seahawks. And so you have money to spend. And if you don't think you're in a full rebuild, which that's the message that John Schneider and Pete Carroll are trying to sell, it's a lot harder to sell that idea if you basically start selling the farm. You can understand why they moved Russell Wilson. That kind of became a situation where they had to. Bobby Wagner cutting him, his salary, his age, you can at least understand the reasoning behind that. It would be very hard for Seahawks fans to stomach the idea that this team is not entering an all-out rebuild, though, if you turn around and then trade a 24-year-old receiver with the rare gifts and talents and one that had been saying for weeks that he wants to be here. He was on the Kevin Garnett show last week and said that he's ready to step up as a leader. Like This is not a guy that's forcing his way out of town just because Russell Wilson got traded. He seems eager to start working with Drew Locke. So he wants to be here. He's young. He's an incredible talent. You have money to spend. 
unless you get just absolutely blown away by an offer that you can't refuse. I don't know why you would make this move. No, I, I again, I 100% agree with you. Everything you just said there, you have to be blown away by a deal because, uh, you know, DK Metcalf didn't have to, uh, you know, publicly support Drew Locke the way that he has. He didn't have to go on to, as you mentioned, Kevin Garnett's uh, podcast and, and kind of tell how, how excited that he is. He feels like this is his time to kind of step up as a leader. That, that's what, you know, that's got to be exactly what, what the Seahawks want to hear him say. Uh, you know, so again, I, I think that the Seahawks want to bring DK Metcalf back. I think that they very much like Russell Wilson. They took a great deal of pride in selecting Russell Wilson, number 75 overall, and watching him become the superstar that he did. Same thing with DK Metcalf, watching him tumble into the very last pick of the second round when his first round caliber talent was so obvious, uh, you know, but they, they got him where they did trade up to get him. Um, and, and so I think that he's, you know, you have this feeling that he's kind of that homegrown town. I think they want to keep him. But at the same time, if again, if you are absolutely blown away by a, a trade proposal, considering this is yet again, another very good wide receiver class, uh, you, you have an offense that is built the way that it has been, at least um, under Pete Carroll's guidance, rather than Shane Waldron's that, that obviously remains to be seen what Seattle's uh, anticipating doing there. I still think that Seattle wants to keep DK Metcalf. I think that they should keep DK Metcalf. But we are living in a different era of NFL football, Corbin. I mean, just here yeah. in the last couple of weeks, we've seen guys, uh, wide receivers, getting traded for multiple first-round picks. I mean, it, it just seems like we're in a crazy environment right now. And so, again, I think the Seattle has to explore whatever opportunities the NFL clubs are going to be throwing to them, whether they be New York Jets or anybody else, Green Bay Packers included. Yeah, I think that they have to be willing to listen. And like John Schneider said at the Combine, some foreshadowing on Russell Wilson's front, but they're always going to pick up the phone and they're always going to answer. That doesn't mean that they're going to make a trade, but they are going to keep all options open. And it is a new time with the salaries being thrown around to receivers, the amount of receivers coming in each year. It is a different environment now. So we'll see what happens. I think he's still going to be with the Seahawks, but as we've learned with Russell Wilson, anytime there's smoke for this long, there's probably some fire there. And so fans are going to be a little on edge leading up to this draft coming up next month. We're going to shift to talking about the draft now. Part two of our series. Yesterday, we looked at the worst drafts that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had during their 12 prior seasons with the Seahawks. We're going to be much more positive today. We're going to break down some draft classes that were among their best. So some positivity today on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. If you're like me and you're trying to keep your New Year's resolution going, I've got some advice for you. Make sure to load up on Built Bars, 100% chocolate, the best tasting protein bar on the market. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you absolutely need to. They will become your favorite. A ton of delicious flavors. It's a protein-infused marshmallow, basically a marshmallow on steroids, and they're delicious. You get awesome flavors like banana cream pie. They're going to become your favorite. Regular Built Bars have tons of great flavors as well. Peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel, orange cream. They're coming out with new flavors every single month, so make sure to check out their website, Built.com, to see what new flavors they're cooking up each month. Less than 200 calories for most Built Bars, only four net carbs, and they also come with 17 grams of protein, so the perfect 
pre-workout snack or post-workout snack, depending how you choose. Maybe you can do both if you really enjoy Built Bars like I do. Make sure to check out the Built.com website and enter in the code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast, which streams five days a week on YouTube and can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We've got 32 experts covering all 32 teams, dishing out their insight and analysis. So make sure to check it out. Again, Locked On NFL podcast available on all major platforms and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Continuing our series from yesterday, we started off with the negative. We've got to end with a positive. Rob, we were looking at some of the worst draft classes that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had during their previous 12 seasons in Seattle. And as everybody should know, with this team being in the playoffs, most of the seasons that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have been in the Pacific Northwest, they've had their share of success with draft classes as well, particularly in the early years. Let's talk best draft classes. Now, I'm just going to be right up front. You know, we were able to debate yesterday. I don't think there's any debate what the best draft class for the Seahawks all time is, let alone with John Schneider and Pete Carroll. That 2012 group, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, two future Hall of Famers being drafted on day two. You get J.R. Sweezy, a multi-year starter who was a defensive tackle that moved to offensive line. You get him in the seventh round. Your first round pick, Bruce Irvin, was a quality player that has over 50 sacks in his career. That was easily the best draft class that the Seahawks have ever had, let alone just in the John Schneider and Pete Carroll era. And it was truly the draft class that turned this into a Super Bowl team. Oh, no question about it. I mean, my my goodness. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal draft class. And, you know, you, you kind of just happened to mention Bruce Irvin there at the end. To me, that was one of the more exciting picks. I, I knew Seattle was high on Bobby Wagner. I knew that they were high on Russell Wilson. I, I told the story before. You know, I, I literally was in New York City for that draft. CBS had brought me in at that point, And I winked into the camera. When Seattle drafted 75th overall and selected Russell Wilson, you know, it was funny because one of my co-hosts, uh, they, they noticed that ESPN's coverage showed the cameras on Russell Wilson in his home. Um, and, and he kind of mentioned, he's like, why are they showing Russell Wilson? There's no chance that he's going right here. And then, boom, they made the selection and he turned to me knowing that, that I was a Seattle guy. And I just said what I knew then and I know now is that Pete Carroll was very much on board with this, but this was a John Schneider selection of yeah. Russell Wilson, number 75 overall. He'd been high on him for a long, long time. And, and all of the, uh, you know, as much as we want to kind of just gush about Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, I thought the selection of Bruce Irvin really kind of just showed that, that Seattle was a little bit more willing to do things differently than NFL teams previously uh, were, were doing things. They were absolutely going to go for these elite athletes. They could sense that the game was changing. Bruce Irvin, I thought, typified that as much as anybody. Again, with all due respect to the future Hall of Famers that are Russell Wilson and, and Bobby Wagner. So that 2012 class is absolutely special for so many different reasons. But, 
you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate in my opinion, Corbin, because I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there that, that frankly got a little bit spoiled with, with how well that Seattle drafted early on. And the fact that they have been that, that Schneider and, and Carroll have been together as long as they have, I think there's been this kind of this idea that the Seattle is terrible in the draft. And I beg to differ with that. Uh, you know, you used to, you know, kind of produce the, the the draft podcast I used to do with, with Scott McLuhan, who is still, in my opinion, is as good or better than any talent evaluator I've ever had the, the, the pleasure of, of talking to. And he used to talk about what Ron Wolf, another incredible talent evaluator, obviously at the Green Bay Packers for, uh, you know, a great deal of, of his time. He used to hope to get one out of every three. And hope and, and plan to get one out of every four of his draft picks right. You're, you're basically that's baseball stuff. You're, you're looking to hit 300, and that's what the Seattle has done for this entire time. And so this idea that Seattle is not very good in the draft, I, I think, is laughable, frankly. Um, and the people who say that the Schneider should get fired, Pete Carroll, are you are you paying attention to what's going on in the NFL? I mean, unless you are one of those teams that gets these first round picks year after year after year, uh, these early first round picks and hits those out of the park, then even the greats, the, the Bill Belichick's of the world. I mean, look at his draft record. It's and I don't want to clown Bill Belichick, but it is as it's difficult to anticipate who is going to be successful. So, so rather than go back to some of those past years, I'm going to kind of refocus in on some of the, the more recent years. I think the 2020 draft class is a phenomenal draft class. I mean, Jordan Brooks is playing really good football. I mean, I think he's a future possible all pro, certainly a pro bowl kind of a guy. I think Daryl Taylor can be that guy. I think Damian Lewis, the fact that he walked in and was the most reliable of Seattle's rookie classes right off the jump. Uh, I think as a third round pick 69th overall, the, the upside that Kobe Parkinson possesses, the you know the play that we have seen at least in flashes from from out in Robinson. Let's go back a couple of years before that. What about the 2018 class? And obviously, a bit of it is Rashad Penny. You know, depending on how you feel about Rashad Penny, and is he the guy that he flashed these last couple of uh, you know those last five six games of the 20 uh, this past season? But my goodness, if you look at that class, Rashad Penny is a good football player. Rasheem Green has played a lot of time in the NFL, and I still think that he's got a long ways to go in his NFL career. Will Disley being the player that he is, Michael Dixon as an all-pro, uh, you know, while he is not obviously with the Seahawks at this point, Trey Flowers is still a good football player. Jamarco Jones, Jacob Martin still in the NFL. I mean, you're talking about six or seven of that, that eight-man class that are still in the NFL that doesn't happen very often. So, again, I, I think that Seattle's drafts just in general are a little bit underrated from a Seahawk and national perspective. I think the big issue, Rob, has been the first-round picks, and we talked about that some yesterday, and obviously the LJ Collier miss being the most recent one. But I agree with you. That 2020 draft class, I think, has the potential to be a top-three draft class for John Schneider and P. Carroll, and that's even including – the 2010 and 2011 draft classes, when you look at those groups as a whole, that 2010 group, to me, that's the second best one that John Schneider and Pete Carroll had. When you've got Earl Thomas and Russell Okung in the first round, you've got Cam Chancellor on day three. So they were able to add some pretty good players. And then the next year, they got Richard Sherman in the fifth round. They also got Byron Maxwell and K.J. Wright in that draft. So I mean, the foundations of their defense primarily, uh, Malcolm Smith was in that draft as well. Future Super Bowl MVP, a seventh rounder coming out of USC. 
So those first three drafts stand alone by themselves. And since then, there have been a lot more misses than hits. But like you said, this is such a hard business to year in, year out, be able to hit on draft picks. And Seattle did have a really good class in 2020. I think that last year's group, if you can get D. Eskridge healthy and you can get Trey Brown healthy, even though it's a small draft class, I think all three of those players can be guys that can be impact guys for beyond their rookie contract. It just comes down to health. Stone Forsythe has a lot of potential. So I think you look at these last couple of drafts, they've certainly done a lot with not having a ton of draft capital, especially last year. I think, again, that group has potential if they can get healthy. But now you get a first-round pick in the top 10 for the first time since the first year these guys were together. They're going to have two picks back-to-back early in the second round. They've got a third-rounder, an extra pick on day three. I mean, they've got a ton of draft capital compared to what they did. And so they have an opportunity to now put another draft in the mix of one of their best ones. And they're going to need it to be one of their better ones coming back from Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner both leaving. I mean, they're, this is a new era. You've got to rebuild this roster and bring in some big-time talent on both sides of the football. So I'm sure we'll revisit this years down the road to see where some of these other more recent draft classes fit in, what this year's draft class ultimately looks like a year, two years, three years from now. But there's no question that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had plenty of success as the general manager coach combination. There's been some rough drafts sprinkled in there, but certainly they've had their share of really good drafts that stack up against pretty much any drafts out there. I think that 2012 draft is among the greatest drafts for any team in the NFL when you consider the value they got, particularly on day two. We're going to now talk 2022 draft here in a moment. Looking at the cornerback group, we're going to talk top five corners on our draft board. And, of course, we'll discuss some potential day three sleepers to keep a close eye on for the Seahawks as we draw closer to the festivities in Las Vegas. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30 50 even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have prices that are reliably low for every customer, and they've got everything you could possibly need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Time to transition away from past drafts to the upcoming draft. And yesterday we kicked off our position by position series. The most important position for the Seahawks to fill on offense, the quarterback spot. Now we're going to shift to the secondary, the cornerback position. Seattle lost one of its top starters in free agency, DJ Reed, going to the New York Jets on a three-year, $33 million contract. They did bring back Sidney Jones. They've added a few other guys in free agency. Reuniting with Justin Coleman, Artie Burns coming over from Chicago. But 
This still feels like a team, Rob, that absolutely could pick a corner fairly early in this draft. We haven't seen him with a top 10 pick since 2010. So even though they haven't picked a corner earlier than the third round, a few of these corners at the top of the board might change John Schneider and Pete Carroll's thinking a little bit when you're talking about elite shutdown caliber corners that could be available to them. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, much has been made about the fact that Seattle is not has never in, invested anything earlier than a third round selection at the cornerback position since Pete Carroll and John Schneider joined forces. But at the same time, when you look at this draft class, Corbett, it is absolutely stacked. I mean, you look at all five of those for of those players that you are, are listening here for our YouTube uh, viewers. And for those not able to watch and I'll just say their names out loud. Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley, Andre. Andrew Booth from Clemson, Kyrie Elam from Florida, Roger McCreary from Auburn. I can list you three or four more that I think have a chance to go uh, in the first round, including a couple from Seattle's own backyard, University of Washington, in Trent McDuffie and Kyla Gordon. I think that I, I mentioned those seven different names, Corbin, because I think that there is a possibility you are going to see six or seven first round picks at the cornerback position, two or three of them who may wind up going in the top 10. Obviously it's Seattle at number nine overall. I'm just going to focus in my 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 initial thoughts there with those two guys who I think are going to wind up being top 10 selections. That being Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, who never allowed a single touchdown reception his entire career. I mean, think about that. He played against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. He played against Alabama in, in the playoff game th this past season. So if you want to you know, throw out those ideas that he didn't go up against elite competition, that's just flat wrong. You know, and then Derek Stingley, Corbin, there are very few players I've seen in 20-plus years of evaluating who were as dominant as Derek Stingley Jr. was for the LSU Tigers three years ago. Now, Say what you will about the last couple of seasons and the injury issues and things like that. But my goodness, you are talking about a guy whose ball skills are so good that some teams are literally considering him playing some plays on offense. I mean, he is that good. He is that gifted. He changes directions that well. He was that physical in run support, at least as a freshman. So you put that carrot in, in, in front of his face that, you know, as far as like, hey, now, now you're getting paid. That's the expectation. I do think that he is that good of a player. Should Seattle select either one of them at number nine overall? Hey, I understand the arguments against that. I still think they're getting one of the top nine players in this draft class. And therefore, I would applaud Seattle's decision at that point. Yeah, I think from a scheme fit, at least the way the Seahawks have done things in the past, Gardner would be the better fit because he's got that great length and he's so good in press coverage. But if they're going to be running more man like they've been talking, Clint Hurd and, and players have been talking about it, playing more man coverage. Sidney Jones mentioned that a week ago. Then a player like Stingley that's such an incredible athlete and has such loose hips, the ability to keep up with the most explosive receivers out there. And he had six interceptions his freshman season. Like you said, the ball skills that he has are insane. His instincts and he will once in a while get toasted over the top because of that aggressiveness. But I mean, he, he was a shutdown corner at LSU his freshman year. He's had some injuries, only played in three games last year. So you're going to be basing a lot of that top 10 evaluation off of what he did a few years ago, but this is still a very young player that has a ton of physical upside 
And we saw what he could do on that national championship team a few years ago. And so I do think that he has a really good chance to be gone in the top 10, as does Gardner. So you got two really good corners that I think are worthy of investing that high of a pick. And now you look at some of the other options that are out there. We've talked about Kair Elam, who at this point, I would be somewhat surprised if he is not a first round pick, given how well he, you know, how well he looked at his pro day, how much he produced at the combine. This kid is really young as well. So when you keep all those factors in mind, you've got a young player that has great physical tools has good ball skills, five interceptions in three years at Florida. I still have reservations about him as a run defender. I think a lot of that just has to do with mindset. He has the tools to be a good tackler, and there have been flashes, but he's been very inconsistent. So we know how much Pete Carroll values that. That is something that's going to weigh heavily into an evaluation of him, but he has a lot of the other boxes they're looking for checked off. He's got good size, good length, very athletic, plays a physical brand of football in coverage. You just want to see that translate to the run game. But he is certainly another name that I would keep an eye on. I don't think there's any way he's going at number nine. But if Seattle traded down, you know, if he falls into the second round, he's obviously going to be a player that, that I think would be on their big board and that they would have interest in. And one other player, Roger McCreary, is on our list from Auburn. And I know there's a certain someone that has mocked him at least one time to the Seahawks during this pre-draft process. But that is a player that two years ago, I don't think you and I even would be having a discussion about him being on Seattle's board. He has really short arms, not a big corner, but he plays so much bigger. And after seeing what DJ Reed was able to do, what Trey Brown did in limited action last year, and this guy – Gets his hands on the football. 14 passes defense last year. Had a defensive touchdown. He'll come up and he'll stick you. So he's got every other box checked off aside from the size and length attributes. Seattle seems more willing to explore players like that. You put him in a more man coverage heavy scheme. I think he can handle himself just fine. So that is another name that I think with pick 40 or pick 41, if they haven't picked a corner at number nine overall, could make a lot of sense for them with one of those two second-round picks. Yeah, he absolutely could. I mean, as you said, Corbin, he doesn't check all of the Seahawks boxes. Roger McCreary, again, is the player that we're talking about here. Doesn't have the elite length. Frankly, didn't work out as well as that I had hoped. But my goodness, you just watch this kid on tape. Senior Bowl, all throughout his career in the SEC, he was moved around and asked to follow the opponent's number one wide receiver, and he got challenged an awful lot. I mean, there's no way you're going to get 14 pass breakups unless you have an awful lot of footballs thrown in your way. But I just love the resiliency. He actually kind of reminds me a little bit of DJ Reed, and he's got he kind of plays above his weight class, so to speak, and and so – To me, that's one of the things that I just really like the player. I don't know that Seattle is necessarily high on him. I just think that he's a football player. I think that he is also among the top 41 players in this draft class. And so if he were available at the top of the second round and the Seattle still has an area or still feels that cornerback is an area of concern, then again, I would applaud that selection, even though it does not check off a lot of the boxes that they have focused on in the past. And, you know, Yes, I am wearing a Washington State Cougars shirt today because I just went to their their pro day a couple of days ago. And so I would be remiss, Corbin, if I didn't mention Jalen Watson, if I didn't mention Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon from University of Washington. If you're talking about three different players from our beautiful state here who I do expect all of them 
are going to be off the board by the end of the second round. Jalen Watson, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated players in this draft class. Nobody seems to be talking about him. But then again, there's very few draft analysts who were there, uh, you know, in Pullman watching his workout and have really watched the tape the way that I have with this kid. He is a spectacular player and people are just kind of sleeping on him. So if you want to talk about a guy who does check a lot of Seahawks boxes, who was incredibly passionate about supporting his teammates during this last pro day workout, really kind of check that box as well. Just who he is as a Juco prospect. There are, are always going to be those kind of questions about guys like that. I think that Jalen Watson is going to be a stud in the NFL, whether it be the Seahawks or somewhere else. So I'm really quick, and I'll give you a chance to do this as well, but I'm going to throw out another day two option that intrigues me, and then maybe that wild card on day three. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to throw out two names for wild cards real quick. But as far as another guy on day two, I, I think that when you look at a player like Tariq Woolen from UTSA, Sure. The, the film is very uneven. This is a guy that is still very raw at the cornerback position. But my goodness, the size at 6'4", the length, the athleticism that he put on display at the Combine in Indy. I mean, that is a player that a coach like Pete Carroll, who has always been great at teaching technique and coaching up players, that is like a Madden player being put into – a creative player being put into a laboratory. And you can't tell me that Pete Carroll – is not drooling about the possibility of coaching a guy with that size and that athleticism at the cornerback spot that is so raw. You can mold him. He's a, he's a ball of Play-Doh. And so I think he's another guy in day two that would make sense. On day three, these might be two names that our listeners have not heard about. North Carolina's Kyler McMichael, I believe is his name. I always want to say McMurray for whatever reason, but Kyler McMichael is another corner that's in that 6'1", 6'2", range that's got fairly long arms, is athletic, put on a pretty good show at North Carolina's Pro Day, doesn't have a lot of ball productivity during his career, another guy that's pretty raw, but I'm looking for traits on day three, and that's another guy that you could mold that's got the size, the length, the athleticism, and then if you're looking for a more polished player that might be ready to play snaps early, our listeners know how much I love Iowa Hawkeyes players because they always seem like they're well-prepared coming into the league. But Matt Hankins, kind of lean, a little under 190 pounds, but he's got decent length, good size, good ball skills, a very technically sound corner that I think can play man and zone. He's a guy I've seen fourth, fifth-round grades on for some places, other places undrafted. I think he is a good fifth or sixth-round pick. That could be a guy, because he's been coached up well, that could play snaps for you fairly quickly and gives you some positional versatility. He does. And, you know, Corbin, I, I've gone on record, oh, I don't know, for the last three, four months saying that I think this cornerback class is special, and I do. I think that the players you just mentioned um, are, are are good players and absolutely would, uh, you know, would be intriguing to see. I'm going to give you three other guys who are going to go probably on day three, should go on day two, and I promise you are going to become NFL starters. And they're guys that not a lot of people are talking about, and they're wrong. And that's Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska, former safety, plays the physicality that Seattle has always prioritized at the cornerback position. I he wonder who locked him to the Seahawks. I did, and he should be a top 100 selection. Just don't know that he's actually going to go there, but he should be. And then two of the guys from the Pac-12, that are just are not getting much attention, at least not nationally, but they are from the scouts, maybe not from the media. 
Chris Steele from USC, Chase Lucas from Arizona State. Both are really good football players. People are sleeping on a little bit nationally. They're going to wind up going a lot earlier than some people are, are projecting. Again, I don't know these guys are going to go to the Seahawks. Uh, I think that the fact that Seattle has brought back three cornerbacks already in free agency suggests that maybe they're not even going to focus that much of attention in, in the draft. But these are all good football players who are going to wind up being successful for some NFL team. I'd be really surprised, even with the additions they've made, I'd be really surprised if they exit this draft without picking at least one corner, especially because this is such a deep, talented group at that position this year and lots of Pac-12 flavor that we've thrown out in this episode as well. So keep some of these corners on the West Coast, bring them up to the Pacific Northwest and have Pete Carroll and company coach them up. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast as well. Get our host, Ryan Tracy, and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They're bringing the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow Rob at Rob Rang. I'm sure he's got some more mock drafts coming up here in coming weeks as we get closer to the real deal at the end of April. You can check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, I'm going to be answering your questions. It's our weekly mailbag and continuing our draft analysis back on the offensive side of the football. Going to look at some receivers that Seattle might consider next month in the draft. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.